Uh, you can open up to Genesis 32, 22 this morning if you want to. That's where we're going to be. We're going to be back in a series that we started uh, early October and called Strange Encounters, uh, Meeting God in the Old Testament. And we're going to be there this morning as well as next week we'll be in a different passage looking at another encounter with God uh, that happens in the Old Testament. I, I wonder over the past year uh, if the rise or if there's been a rise in uh, do-it-yourself projects at people's homes or in doing things. Uh, I know there's been a rise in people making their own sourdough bread. Uh, I know there's been a rise in people having plants in their house. Uh, I know there's been a rise in Marco Polo users uh, and probably lots of other rises. And I have to think there's there's probably been a rise in people uh, trying do-it-yourself projects around the house or somewhere else. The, the thing, though, about do-it-yourself projects is that sometimes doing it yourself stands in the way of actually getting it done correctly or getting the, the help that you need to get something done correctly. So I've got a couple of pictures to start out this morning. Uh, some examples where do-it-yourself projects didn't turn out so well. Uh, this is hanging a TV, uh, and it looks like they finally found the stud to hang it on after about 20 tries, maybe. Uh, the next one is, oh, this is trying to put a, uh, a cat door, a kitty door, uh, and they accidentally put it up top uh, rather than the bottom. Uh, I think the next one is, oh, yeah, this one is installing some plumbing, uh, but the plumbing runs through the stepladder. I'm not quite sure how that one happened. The next one, I think, is a microwave. Uh, you may be, what's wrong? Well, look down at the oven if you want to see what happened. Uh, it dropped and cracked their oven top because they didn't have it situated correctly. And then the final one might be my favorite. Uh, them installing a toilet. Uh, the problem is the door no longer closes. I, I've discovered, though, uh, this do-it-yourself mindset is not limited to adults or handy people. Uh, it's also found in kids. Uh, this past week, uh, my son turned two years old, and so we got to celebrate his birthday, which was lots of fun. Um, but I think it also signaled that we are officially entering the toddler stage, for better or worse. And, and over the past month, we've started to hear uh, one phrase a lot more often in our house. And if you're a parent, you're probably very familiar with the phrase. Uh, it just may be that the name at the start of it is different. It's a, it's a three-letter phrase, and it goes a little bit like this. Ollie do it. It sounds like I do it, but he's actually saying Ollie do it. Uh, brushing teeth, Ollie do it. Uh, mixing pancakes, Ollie do it. Uh, reading a book, Ollie do it. Uh, cutting vegetables with a sharp knife, Ollie do it. And the thing is that Ollie do it sometimes stands in the way of it getting done well, or us doing it safely, or my wife or I helping him to do what needs to happen. Uh, th this, this desire to kind of do it yourself, be self-sufficient, I don't think it's necessarily bad. Uh, it can help us save money, it can help us learn, it can help us accomplish things. But I think when it comes to our spiritual lives, self-sufficiency or a I'll just do it myself approach becomes devastating. Because I think self-sufficiency ends up standing in the way of us seeing and experiencing God's grace in our day-to-day -day lives. That, that our tendency to go throughout this life thinking, I'll just do everything in my own way, uh, or to approach problems 
thinking, I'll, I'll fix this kind of revolving around my wisdom, my ability, or thinking that we have the power to change ourselves or change the other people around us, or, or maybe just our desire to kind of get to a place one day where, where we're not so needy and not so dependent and maybe can just kind of coast in this life. That, that all those things and more can stand in the way of us experiencing asking for God's grace in our day-to-day lives. I think if you can even look at just the definitions of self-sufficient and grace to see how at odds these can be. Self-sufficient, able to supply one's own needs without external assistance. Uh, Grace, favor, goodwill, a manifestation of favor, especially by superior. Or as Christians, we would say God's undeserved favor that he shows to us. We're going to look at Jacob, as I said, this morning in Genesis 32 starting verse 22. And and Jacob's life up to this point could, I think, be summed up in this way. Jacob do it. Get the birthright and the blessing that God had promised. Jacob do it by swindling his brother and deceiving his father. Get Get a wife that would be part of God's promised blessing to him. Jacob do it by working seven years and then seven more years after he got tricked. Uh, get, get wealth in his life, Jacob do it by outsmarting, outdeceiving, outcunning his uncle who he was working for. Jacob's life is this picture of self-sufficiency, I think, up until this point where God encounters him in Genesis 32 and literally wrestles the self-sufficiency out of him. And that's the passage we're going to pick up in this morning, Genesis 32, uh, 22. Let me pray for us before we read. Father, we, we look to you. We say, where, where does our help come from? We lift up our eyes to all the problems we're facing, all the difficulties we may be facing. And we say, where, where do we find some help? God, our help comes from you, the one who made heaven and earth, the one who sustains us every day, with good things, the one who holds this world together in your hands. God, we we look to you again this morning saying, help us, speak to us, uh, show us grace, remind us of how good you are and how much you want to pour out grace in our lives over and over and over again. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. During the night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two servant wives, and his 11 sons and crossed the Jabbok River with them. After taking them to the other side, he sent over all his possessions. This left Jacob all alone in the camp, and a man came down and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. When the man saw that he could not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of socket. Then the man said, let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name? The man asked. He replied, Jacob. Your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel because you have fought with God and with men and have won. Please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name? The man replied. Then he blessed Jacob there. Jacob named the place Peniel, which means face of God. For he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. The sun was rising as Jacob left Peniel, and he was limping because of the injury to his hip. Uh, 
I think this encounter qualifies for what we're going for in this series. It is strange. It, it, it is odd. It, it is, I think, in some ways mysterious. There, there are questions that we may have about this passage that we may not get the full answer to. But I do think one thing we can see coming across, and this is kind of the, the big idea to look at this morning, is that the more we see our neediness, the more we'll see God's grace. The more we see our neediness, the more we see how much help we are, how desperate we are, the more we'll see and experience God's grace in our lives. We can start just by looking at this. This is the first point out of this. Uh, the fact that God's grace meets us in our weakness. God's grace meets us in our weakness. The, this encounter we read uh, happens in the midst of Jacob's greatest distress, greatest problem that he's facing. He left his home many years earlier uh, and fled because his older brother Esau was planning to kill him. Esau said, I've got enough of this guy cheating me, uh, deceiving me, swindling me. I'm just going to get rid of him. I'm going to kill him. And so Jacob flees, runs away from everything that's familiar. Now, 20 years later, he's coming back. He's just escaped a possible disaster with his uncle who was chasing him. And now he's sent out to Esau ahead of him and said, hey, hey, I'm coming back, uh, trying to to find his favor, trying to let him know I'm coming home. Uh, Please don't kill me, essentially. And, And his messengers, Jacob's messengers, return with a word from what they've seen. They say, Esau's coming, and he's got 400 men with you. And to Jacob, that signals one thing. He's coming to kill me. He's, he's going to carry through on his threat. See, I, uh, I, I grew up playing hockey, and I played hockey a little bit as an adult as well. And there's kind of a universal signal in hockey. When someone shakes their gloves and then throws them to the ground, nine times out of ten, it's not because they want to give you a hug or a high five or a fist pound. It's because they want to punch you in the face. Jacob knows nine times out of ten, 400 men coming marching towards you is not because they want to have a picnic and play some yard games. It's because they're coming for war. And Jacob knows I'm in no state for war. In fact, he he realized my my only kind of hope in this is I'm going to divide my camp into two different groups, and and maybe if one is getting attacked, the other one can somehow escape. And, And then we see Jacob, for the first time, calling out to God in prayer in his life. Early in this chapter, in verses 9 uh, through 12, I just have a couple of the verses up there. Jacob's praying, God, God, God of my grandfather Abraham and God of my father Isaac, oh Lord, please rescue me from the hand of my brother Esau. I am afraid that he is coming to attack me along with my wives and children. And it's in the midst of Jacob's weakness and distress and feeling overwhelmed that God shows up and is gracious to him. I, I think we tend to naturally view weakness in our life as a bad thing, that we want to avoid weakness, that we want to get rid of it. And yet I think this story and many others in the Bible would show us weakness might actually be a good thing because it's when we're feeling the weakest that we feel the most need for God's grace. Weakness, I, I think weakness might be a little bit like mushroom soil. And, and what I mean by that is uh, I, was a, I was a mulch truck delivery driver for several years of my life. 
And the, the product that I most hated to deliver was mushroom soil because it smelled so bad. It stank, and, and especially if it was wet or it was early in the morning, and I knew it would stick to my truck bed when it, when it kind of dipped up, and so I'd have to try to shake it or, or, or pull it down with a pitchfork, and, it, and I knew someone was going to get it on my hands and on my pants, and it was going to stink. It's like, I, I don't want to deliver it. It's so nasty. And re realizing people don't order mushroom soil because it smells good. People ordered mushroom soil because it helped their soil. Well, they, maybe because it was a cheap version of mulch. That was one option. But also, more often probably, because it was supposed to help their soil be able to grow stuff. That, that one of the things you learn about mushroom soil is actually it prepares the soil to receive and retain more water. That normal soil may not be able to keep that in, but, but if you mix mushroom soil in there, it prepares it to receive and retain more water. I think that weakness in our life, just as it was in Jacob's life, prepares us to receive and retain more of God's grace. It's not that God isn't always gracious to us. He is, and we've seen that all in Jacob's life if we look up it to this point. But it's just that weakness makes him realize how much more of God's grace he needs in this moment. And, and that, that leads to the first thing I think that we can take away from this passage for ourselves is we should view weakness as an opportunity. That we should view weakness in our life as an opportunity. Self-sufficient people, people want to do it on their own, either try to avoid weakness or overcome it in their own strength. And yet as Christians, we, we might be able to view weakness as an opportunity to call out to God for his grace and help. That it might be priming us to be able to receive more of his grace. Think of, just, just think of your own life right now and think, where, where do I feel weak in some area? And another way to ask that is just like, where do I want things to be different? Where do I want things to change? If you are a teenager and you are at home right now, and you are so sick of doing online schooling. You just feel, I'm done with this. I feel weak. I just want this to get away. If, if you're a parent who's homeschooling your kids, and you just feel, this is too much. Or a parent who's working and also trying to help the kids with online schooling. You're just, I, I'm done with this. If you're someone in the at-risk population, you think, I'm so sick of being stuck at home. So done with this. If you are just a living, breathing human being, and this past year has made you feel frustrated, a little bit in over your head, confused, annoyed, whatever it is, what if we saw all those things and more as opportunities? Opportunities where we might be primed to call out for God or to God for more of his grace. And God, we can't do this. Help us. We need your grace come through for us. Come through for us. However, we should probably see from this story, sometimes God's grace doesn't show up how we expect it to. That, that God's grace might actually come to us in unexpected packages. That's the second point. As grace can come in unexpected packages. Uh, I'm guessing you could probably think of some time in your life where you've asked for something and then you receive something completely different. 
or, or maybe you've done that with your kids if you're a parent. That's what happens to Jacob here. He, he asks for, God, deliver me, rescue me from Esau. And how does God respond? He shows up to fight him. He shows up to wrestle him. Just, just stop and think about this for a second. If, if you've got a big day tomorrow, you, you've got a, a big test, you've got a big project uh, at work, you, you've got a big presentation, or you just have a long day in front of you, like I, I know it's a full day. What do you most want in that moment? To sleep, to rest, to feel sharp the next morning. What do you least want in that moment? Someone knocking on your door at midnight, throwing you into a full Nelson for the next five hours. That's what's happening. Like, this is the biggest day he's facing, and God shows up and wrestles him overnight. And we have to realize God could have showed up in any, God could have showed up like he showed up to Joshua later as the commander of the Lord's army. It's like, I'm with you, Jacob. God could have showed up just to comfort him. Say, Jacob, I've got you. I'll be with you in the midst of this. And God shows up to fight with him, to wrestle him. Why is that? What's going on here? I think what we see is God wants to change Jacob just as much as he wants to change his circumstances. That God, God isn't just concerned about delivering Jacob from Esau, He's concerned about delivering Jacob from the self-sufficiency that's plagued him his entire life. God wants to change Jacob just as much as he wants to change Jacob's circumstances. And I think the same is true for us. That God doesn't just, God isn't a bulldozer who just paves everything difficult out of our way so that we can kind of walk smoothly. God, God is more like a welder who heats us up so that he can shape us and mold us and change us how he wants to. Which would signal to us, as the story does, that God's process of changing us can be painful, can be difficult. Right? Because we, we look in the story, if we, we look back and what we see Jacob wrestling, Jacob seems to be holding his own somehow. And yet it's also in that moment that we see, uh, apparently God fights according to street rules because he just pops out his hip. And we're, we might look at it, what? That is not fair. What is going on? Because God wants to change Jacob more than he wants to change his circumstances. And the same is true of us. And sometimes, maybe, God wounds us, cripples us, in order to heal us. And this happens in other areas. This happens all the time, I think, in the medical community. Doctors prescribe chemotherapy medication to a person who is suffering with cancer. My, my wife works as an oncology nurse, and one of, her, one of her jobs is to give chemo education. And so she tells patients, helps patients with understanding uh, what this medication is, when to take it, how often to take it, and also what the side effects may be. Warning them, th- this might actually hurt. Th- th- this might end up making you feel exhausted might sap your energy, your strength. It might take away your appetite. It might make you feel nauseous and lead you to, to throw up. It, it might, there might be a lot of things that are difficult about this. So why, why would a doctor prescribe something that might hurt a patient in the short term? 
because that doctor is hoping that it will help or heal or even cure someone. I want, want to change, that, change what's happening in that person, heal them. God is a God who wants to change us, to help us, to heal us. And so sometimes that process is painful and difficult. But I also think, and this is where we look at another takeaway for us, that that should lead us to pray for God, not just to change our circumstances, but to change us. Not just to, to ask God, make things easier, but God, change me in the midst of this. I, I would guess you're like me. It, it's a whole lot easier for me to pray, God, take this problem away. Get rid of this. I don't want to deal with this. Like, do something about this. And I, and I think it's good for us to pray in that way. But I think God also wants us to pray or encourages us to pray. Change me in the midst of this. Shape me, mold me. Do something in me. Use this to help me, to heal me, to shape me. If you're, if, if you're a parent, do you pray more often for God to change a stubborn and disobedient child than you do for God to make you more patient and kind and compassionate through that child? Uh, if you're, do you spend more time praying for God to give you something you want than, than you do praying, God, help me to believe that you're enough no matter what? Do, do, we, do we spend more time asking God, take away all these things that are making me anxious and worried and stressed than we do saying, God, God just help me, help me to trust you in the face of all these things? In this past year, have we spent more time effectively asking God, God, just take things back to the way they were a year ago. Just make things normal again. Have we spent more time asking God to do that in some way than we have saying, God, God, use this. Change me. Work in me. Grow my faith. Grow my knowledge of you. Help, help me. And maybe we don't even know. God, I don't even know what you want to do, but I know that you want to change me. And so please use this. Don't let this go to waste. I... Again, if you're like me, it is much easier to pray for God change my circumstances than it is to pray change me. But I think God invites us, wants us to pray in the midst of weakness and difficulty. God change me too. Change me as well, just as he was changing Jacob in this story. God, God invites us into, I think, what is a, a new fight with our lives. That's the third point. Um, it's, it's interesting, I think, when we look at this story, the fight doesn't end when Jacob gets his hip popped out of socket. And I think this is where, like, we've got to give Jacob some credit. He, he is like a football player that gets just tackled by a 300-pounder. His ribs break, and yet he gets back up and plays the rest of the game. I mean, that's, that is not me. If I'm Jacob, if I'm that football player, give me some pain meds, a nice ice pack, and a couch to sit on. And yet Jacob keeps going. But it also seems like the fight changes in this moment. Whereas before, maybe Jacob was holding his own, it seems to switch to now Jacob is just holding on. And this is where I think the story gets even maybe a little bit 
stranger because uh, Jacob asked God to bless him or this other wrestler to bless him. And, and the wrestler responds by saying, all right, I'll give you a new name. You were Jacob, uh, but now you're going to be Israel. And in the process, if you look at the bottom there, it seems like he says, Jacob wins. How, how does Jacob win a wrestling match with God? What, what is, what's going on here? This is where I think it's helpful for us to look at another passage that talks about this one. Kind of a, an obscure passage in Hosea. Hosea 12, 3 through 4. It says this, Even in the womb, Jacob struggled with his brother. When he became a man, he even fought with God. Yes, he wrestled with the angel and won. He wept and pleaded for a blessing from him. There at Bethel, he met God face to face and God spoke to him. So, so this passage tells us, all right, first of all, it makes it sound like Jacob is wrestling an angel. Then it makes it sound like Jacob is wrestling God. And so it adds maybe a little bit of, all right, who, who was really this person? But then it, it, it says, verse four, he wrestled with the angel and won. And then I think it clarifies, how did he win? He cried and he pleaded for a blessing. He wept and pleaded for a blessing. As one person puts it, they said, Jacob overcomes the angel by begging for his favor. Jacob overcomes the angel by begging, show me favor, bless me. All his life up to this point, Jacob's been fighting this battle of self-sufficiency. And here's what that is, I think. I've got to prove it. I've got to prove my worth. I've got to prove my value. I have to make something of myself. I've got to do it on my own. That's why he's named Jacob, the heel grabber, grabs on to other people, trying to get what he wants. This battle of self-sufficiency. And in the battle of self-sufficiency, trying to prove himself, he ends up fighting against God. And yet in the midst of this wrestling match, something flips, something changes. And now he becomes Jacob. Jacob, or sorry, Israel, Israel. And Israel can mean one of two things. Either uh, Israel means one who fights with God, or it can also mean God fights, or in other words, the one who God fights for. I think it means, I think it's meant to have a double meeting. Whereas Jacob was fighting against God previously, now he's fighting with God on his side. That the battle in Jacob's life has changed in the midst of this wrestling match. I think God's grace invites us into a new fight with our lives. Not a fight to say, I've got to prove myself, I've got to do this on my own, but a fight to say, God, I, I need you to help me in the midst of all this. I think of, uh, just imagine for a second, imagine that you are swimming in the ocean and in the midst of swimming or maybe you're just jumping waves, whatever is you're doing, a strong riptide comes along and starts to carry you out to sea. If, if you're like anyone in that moment, you start swimming to try to get out of it. You fight against it. I've got to get out of this. This is taking me out to sea. And so you're swimming as hard as you can. And it eventually, if it keeps carrying you out, you, you probably realize I'm not going to be able to outswim this. I'm not going to be able to get out of this. And so you start to tread water, but likely you don't just give up and say, I'm, I'm going to drown. You start a new fight where you throw up your arms, waving, and say, help, someone help. 
And the fight now all of a sudden is to get someone else's attention to, to come and help you, to come and deliver you, to, to come and rescue you from that riptide. You were fighting on your own track. I'm going to get out of it. And all of a sudden the fight shifts to someone just help. Someone help. The fight for Jacob switches from I've got to do it. I've got to prove it to God. Help me. Bless me. Show favor to me. I, I think we should have this approach or this perspective where we fight for God's grace in our lives. And I don't mean that at all as like we've got to earn it by fighting really hard. But, but what I mean is that when we, when we feel in over our head, when, when we feel like a failure, when we feel like we just can't do it, like th- this is just too much, I can't keep going like this. The response for us isn't to simply throw up our lo- arms and say, I give up. The response should be, God, I need your grace more. Like, I need to cling to you even more tightly because you are my only hope in the midst of this. It, if Keith's parenting series over the past five weeks made you feel like this task is too big, I'm not doing it as well as I should be, I'm failing this area, so I'd probably welcome aboard. Everyone probably felt that. The response is not, I just can't do it. I can't do it. I'm done. The response for us is, God, give me grace. Help me because I I can't do it. I can't do it, but you can. You can fight for me and with me on this. If as Keith goes through this series on proclaiming the gospel and and you think, I I can't do that. I can't can't tell someone else about Jesus, someone I don't even know, that, that feels overwhelming. Welcome on board. Everyone feels that way, I think. But the response for us shouldn't simply be to throw up our hands and say, I, I'm just not good. I, I fail. I'm just not going to try. The response should be, God, help me. Give me grace. I need you in the midst of this. I, I, I want to do this. Help me because I feel incredibly weak when it comes to that. Like, if, if this past year has just taken its toll on you, it probably has. The response is, God, give me grace to face one more month, one more week, one more day. Help me. Help me. Not to throw up our hands and say, we're done. Let's just kind of coast till maybe May of 2021. God, help me in the face of this because I, I need you more than ever before. And as we, as we fight for God's grace, as we call out for his grace, I think we, we can remember, we can be drawn back to, God is, not, God is not a stingy God who hands out grace sparingly. He is a God who loves to pour out grace and help on weak, needy, sinful people. In fact, he loves to do it so much that he humbles himself, bends down to our level to throw open the doors of grace. That's the last thing I think we can see from this passage, or one of the things we can see, that God humbles himself to show us grace. As Jacob walks away from this wrestling match, first of all, he, he asks the other wrestlers, like, well, you tell me your name. And, and the wrestler responds, well, why, why do you want to know my name? And, and what one person says is, it's kind of like saying, you already know who I am. Why are you asking? You know who I am by this point, right? And Jacob walks away and he realizes, I just met God 
face to face. I just wrestled with God in the midst of this. And that should stop us to ask, if we haven't already asked in the midst of this story, how is it that God didn't just pin Jacob to the ground right from the start and say, submit? We're talking about a God who's all-powerful here, showing up, and how is it that Jacob even stands a chance in this wrestling match? How is it that, that God doesn't just throw him to the ground and say, you're weak, you're weak, you lose? I, I, have, I have an older brother who has three young boys. They're now three, five, and seven. I think I'm right on that. And if you have young kids, especially young boys, you know, they, they need to find ways to get their energy out. They got a lot of energy stored up in there. They, they got to get that energy out. And so sometimes to get their energy out, they'll wrestle with my brother, with their dad. They want a, a wrestling match. And so here's what my brother does when they want a wrestling match. He stands up off the couch. He lets them come at him. He throws them to the ground, pins them, and waits till they submit and then flexes on them. Says, that's right, you come back at me when you're older. No, you know, that's not what he does. Here's what my brother does. He gets off of the couch, he lays down on the ground, intentionally in some ways limiting his strength, bending down to their level so that his boys can come and pounce on him and enjoy wrestling with him. Despite the fact that at any moment my brother could stand up and throw them to the ground, he invites them, come jump on me, come wrestle with me, come. In this story, we see God intentionally bending to Jacob's level, coming down, taking on the form of a man to wrestle Jacob so that ultimately Jacob can receive grace. Now, what, what else should that remind us of? If you're a Christian, it, it, it's probably pretty obvious to you what that reminds us of. It reminds us of Jesus, who comes as a man and humbles himself. In fact, some people would look at this story and say that the, the person who was wrestling with Jacob was Jesus. It's kind of a uh, pre-incarnate version of Jesus. I, I don't know whether we can say that for sure from the story or not, but here's, here's what I do think we can say, that what God does here with Jacob, he most fully does in Jesus. Jesus becomes a man, not just for one night, for 30 years and then forever. And in the process of being a man, Jesus wrestles on our behalf. He wrestles with God in prayer. He, he has a uh, midnight, in some ways, wrestling match with God before the greatest distress of his life. And then the next day goes to the cross and gets killed, which by all accounts is weak. But it's in weakness that he wins. And it's in weakness that he flings open the doors of grace to us. I love how Hebrews 4 15 through 16 puts it, puts it this way. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, being Jesus, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in times of need. Just as my brother laying down on the ground, signals to his sons, come, let's wrestle. God bending down to our level in Jesus signals to us, come, get the grace that you need. Call out to me. Call out to me. And because of that, we don't need to go throughout this life with a I do it approach. 
I'll handle it. I'll take care of it. We can go throughout it with a, God, help me. You do it. You fight for me. You fight on my behalf. That, that in our weaknesses, everything that makes us feel weak in some ways, we might see these are opportunities to call out to God. That as we see our, our need to change, we might be right, reminded, God, be gracious to me. Change me. Change me. That in the midst of all our struggles and difficulties and successes, we would continue to fight for God's grace, knowing we need it more and more and more each day. And in those moments, knowing God loves, loves, loves to pour out his grace on us when we are weak and needy and cannot do it on our own. Uh, I want to close this morning in this way. I, I want to take just a moment and I, I want you to think for a second. What, what's one area I feel weak in right now? Or, or maybe what, what's one area I, I know I, I need to change and I, I, I feel like I've uh, I need to change in this one area. Or, or what's one area where I just feel like I, I've failed, I've blown it, I feel in over my head, I feel overwhelmed. Uh, and if none of those things click, then maybe just asking, God, show me one area you want to change me. Show me one area you want to change me. And so I, I just want to give maybe about a minute of silence, we'll pray, uh, for us to be able to call out to God and say, God, we are weak, we are needy, we feel helpless, be gracious to us. Help us in this area. Help us in this way. Help us in this time. So I'll give about a minute and then I'll close us in prayer here. God, over and over in the Psalms, we see David or others crying out, God, help, help, come through for me, rescue me, uh, be my strength, be my refuge, be my support. And so God, we want to cry again with David for your grace saying, help us, help us in the midst of our needs, help us in the midst of our weaknesses. Pour out your grace on us so that, so that we might find the, the help and the strength and the support that we so desperately need in our lives and so that in response, you would get the praise and glory as the one who supplies it all. God, we love you. Thank you for flinging open the doors of grace to us in Christ. Help us to run to you over and over again, seeking that grace. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.